Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. We began about two years ago studying the letters of Paul, which were the letters that were written by the Apostle Paul and revealed what was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ to teach us, to teach us Gentiles. Sometimes it was difficult. It's difficult for a person who has not been raised in Judaism and under the law. Sometimes it's difficult to understand even what Jesus was talking about. It's hard to get a hold of that sometimes. Don't act like you know everything that Jesus was talking about, because I, I sometimes read it and, and have no frame of reference for it. The Jews all did. They understood exactly. And I'm not saying always. Of course, you can read the Gospels and you can understand the Gospels and get, and get the message out of it. Times it, 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 it was pointed straight at the Jews. That's why Jesus hand selected the Apostle Paul to be the voice of revelation from heaven to the rest of the world. Because you see, in Acts chapter 2, they didn't know anything about Gentiles getting saved. They didn't know a thing about Gentiles getting saved. They didn't know anything about it in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, Six, seven, eight, and they didn't know anything. And nine, they didn't know anything about it. And Acts chapter ten comes along. A guy named Cornelius began to cry out to God in his own way, the best way he knew how. And he cried out to God. God found a way to bring this man in, a Roman centurion. Hey, that's a pagan's pagan. <laughs> you know, if you know two minutes worth of, of ancient history, you know that the Romans were pagan. That those who worked for Caesar were the pagans, pagan. And he was in direct authority, I mean, you know, indirect authority, I should say, in the lineage of authority from Caesar himself. And yet there was something in his training that made him understand authority in a way. Because remember, it was another centurion who came to Jesus for his servants. In Matthew chapter 8, came to Jesus for his servants. He said, look, I, you don't have to come into my house. I'm not even worthy to have you there. But you speak the word only because I know how this works. I'm a man under authority. And I say, we have we have a whole row right over here for Richard and Lala. Praise God. We were saving it for you guys. We've been scattered over that big auditorium for so, so long. Now we're going to have to get used to each other. All right. I love it. Praise God. And... Uh, began to teach Paul. He bring, he just snatched Paul right out of it. His name was Saul then, you all remember? And when he snatched Saul out, Saul went to the Jews first, because that's where he's supposed to go. It's all he knew. He went to the Jews first, and everywhere he went, the Jews beat him up. They'd beat him up, they'd stone him, they'd just treat him terribly. They didn't see him as an emissary. And finally, at one point, he just said, okay, if that's the way you want it, I'm going to the Gentiles. And from then on, then on, you read about it, from then on, his message came to us. Woo! His message came and said, I'm tired of getting beat up. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the pagans, our, our forefathers, I'm not saying that they treated him all that nice. But they were far more receptive to the message of grace, the message of the cross. Because that message, when you preach the cross, the way it's supposed to be treated, preached. I'm not talking about some some religious thing. Oh, you got to crucify that language really isn't in the Bible. That language really isn't in the Bible. That's all religious language. Talking about the message of the cross is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. That's the, that's the preaching of the cross. He died for our sins. And he sums it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to get there eventually. I'm doing a little bit of, I'm doing a little bit of a preliminary work here in the teachings of Paul because we started several months ago. I mean, several years ago now, two years ago studying the works of Paul, okay? We did Romans, and then we did Galatians. These are compatible books. When you study on your own, read Romans and Galatians together. Cross-reference them. And then we went to Hebrews, because you all voted on it. You wanted Hebrews. And then we did the prison epistles, actually just two of them, Ephesians and then Philippians. That's what we've been doing for about two years on Wednesday nights. Pastor Eric and I have decided starting in July, 
we're going to teach and preach Colossians on Sunday mornings. Amen. We're going to preach vision messages for June when we get over here in McDowell Middle School. But starting in July, we're going to teach the book of the King, the book of Colossians on Sunday mornings. It'll be on television. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but in the meantime, on Wednesday nights, we're opening tonight with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Let me tell you about Corinth. Maybe the most pagan city in all of Asia Minor. It, uh, it wasn't, uh, I said Asia Minor, it's actually, it was actually in Macedonia. And it, 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 it was right on the isthmus between the two continents. It's a very cosmopolitan place. It's a very prosperous place, Pastor Eric. More money in Corinth. I mean, per capita more money in Corinth probably than in Dallas, Texas. I mean, it was the centerpiece of that part of the world, economically speaking. Yeah, there was a lot of trade there. And so it was a mixed culture of people. A lot of people from lots of different places. And uh, as you know, that breeds all kinds of bad things, generally speaking. Important cities in America tend to have have a reputation for being really, you know, rough places. I mean, you know, New York City, New Orleans, San Francisco. You know what I mean? I mean they, they, because of that, that mix, and uh, so there's no, there's, it's hard to have a standard for the culture there. Corinth was very similar there. It was not, not a nice place. Not a nice place. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's most of the time straightened them out. Most of the time he's straightened them out because they've taken everything too far or they've done dumb things. They don't correct their center, the, the, the people in the church who are sinning. They don't correct them right. They don't operate the gifts right. I mean, it's just... Hey, better, 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 yeah, but there's a whole service. It's just for just everybody, you know, everybody just speaking in tongues. And it's okay for everybody speaking tongues at once. We found that out in Scripture. We, and we're going to talk about that very, 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 uh, very strongly. I'm going to give you answers for those friends and relatives of yours who don't like you, the fact that you speak in tongues and talk about it so much. I'm going to give you strong answers when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to give you Bible answers. I, I, I am a born and bred Pentecostal. Let me just give you my credentials. Okay? I'm not talking about paper I hang on the wall. I've got lots of paper I hang on the wall. You can almost wallpaper an office with it. That's not the credentials I'm talking about. I'm talking about the day I was born. One o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. My mama didn't go to church because she had given birth to a baby. That don't mean no I mean a baby. Nine and a half pounds of baby. Now when a woman has a nine and a half pound baby at one o'clock in the morning, she don't really feel like getting up and running off to church that, that day. Probably the first church service my mom had missed in years. Of course, the last time the pastor had seen her, you know, she was out here with baby. I mean baby. Lots of babies. They didn't know how many were in there, just me. So in the afternoon, my pastor decided, well, Sybil must have had that baby. So they get, they load up, you know, pastor and his wife, and they drive way off down the country, a place called Love's Valley, Oklahoma, on the, on the other side of the river. And uh, that's where my, gra- my grandfather lived, my grandfather, grandmother, had a little bungalow house there with a couple rooms built on, so it was, you know, Oklahoma, basically, lots of family. He owned cattle, lots of land. My mama had birth to her second child, second and last child, there in her mother's front bedroom. What the pastor didn't know was that was that uh, James and Sybil had been fussing about what they were going to name this baby. James said, we're going to name him John after his uncle John. And Sybil said, we're going to name him Patrick after her doctor. She had kind of a crush on Dr. Patrick Lawson. Square shoulder, former uh, U.S. Air Force doctor. And, you know, she 
that kind of a crush on me. So here's that deal. My son was going to name me Patrick. Now, I've told this before, but you need to hear it again. In southern Oklahoma, Patrick is a fine name, by the way. Patrick, if your name is Patrick, you've been blessed with a really fine name for most places in the world. But given the fact that one of the nicknames for Patrick is Patty, in southern Oklahoma, cowboy country, a boy named Patty might as well be a boy named Sue. Redneck cowboy country, they don't, they don't, they don't smile on boys named Patty. So I, uh, I was very glad to get the name John. In fact, what happened was my dad went off and didn't know anything about this argument they were having, this discussion they were having about what the name meant. And when the man of God walked in that afternoon, my dad gone, he walked in. He said, I felt the presence of God come upon me, the Spirit of God come upon you, the anointing that came upon him. He had one on the inside, but one came upon him for action and gifts. He felt it come upon me. He said, I just raised my hand when I walked in the door and said, Thou shalt call his name John. And my mama, you know, she'd fight all day long with James, my daddy. But she ain't fighting God. So she named me John. That's how I got my name. Now, I don't know how far back your Pentecostal, uh, you know, paperwork goes, but mine goes all the way back to the day I was born. The name's prophesied. You call me Pastor John, that's because a man of God prophesied my name is John. So, that all having been said, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. I've, I've got to admit, when I've been studying this for the last several years, many years I've been really working on this. I teach a course now in Bible college called the Gifts of the Spirit. And I have found things in there I don't want to teach as a Pentecostal. found things in there I didn't like teaching because it didn't fit my experience. You ever found anything in the Bible didn't fit your experience? I'm just talking about my natural man. I'm not talking about my heart for God. I'm just talking about in my natural man, there are things that woo, I don't really like that. I don't like what that's saying because it goes against a lot of things that I've been taught, a lot of things I've practiced, a lot of things I've believed. So I'm going to ask you, open your heart, hear what First Corinthians has to say, and if I can't prove what I'm going to teach you from the Bible, you have a right to close your Bible, get up and walk out and go find another Bible teacher. You won't do that. You won't do that. How many of you been listening to me teach for a long time now? Huh? Got privileges in the book? We go to the Bible. And not just one verse. We see if this is something that the Bible's actually saying. Because I don't care what anybody thinks. Now, honestly, I want you, as believers in Jesus, I want you to get over what people think about your doctrine. I want you to get over what they think and who it aligns you with or who it separates you from. You've got to get over who this aligns you with or who it separates you from and what camp they're going to say you're in. Who cares? All that matters is that what you believe is in that book, glory be to God, because if it comes from this book, if the truth is in you that comes from the Word of God and it's a pronounced doctrine of the Bible that, 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 that the Apostle Paul wrote, if it's there and it's solidly there, then you can live your life in victory because it's there. Who cares what they think? And I'll tell you something. They're not only going to think it, they're going to say it. They, I mean, that, you know, that bunch out there is always against everything. I mean, mostly de- devils. I think, I think once people hear the truth of the Word of God, I mean, I don't know how many denominational people I've been able to talk to about the things of the Spirit and show them in the Bible and have them go, hmm. Even preachers of maybe the largest evangelical denomination in this country want to talk to me about the things of the Spirit. And when we do Bible study, I had one come into my, into my office one day. He said, can I show you why we don't speak in tongues? We don't believe it's necessary and, and useful and even, even that it's not even really something for today. I said, yeah, you can show them. Something like I didn't already know what they believed, you know. Because they have this impression. Let me just tell you what they think of us. Out there they think that all we do is scream and holler until we're blue in the face and run around until we sweat and our hair all falls down. And everybody's foaming at the mouth, and finally we pass out on the floor. They think that's what our church services are like. Well, I always say, if that's what they're saying about us, hey, we might as well be enjoying ourselves. <laughs> Let's have us some of that. Amen. <laughs> anyway, and we sat and we talked, and by the time it was over, this guy was going, man, I need to really restudy this. I Well, he didn't want to talk about it no more after a little while. All he said was, you know, I'm going to have to really, I'm going to have to really study this. 
I want you to be armed and dangerous so that when they come to you, you're going to prove something. I want you to be armed and dangerous so that if anybody sneaks up on you from behind, I want you to be armed and dangerous so that so that when anybody comes to you, you know, you, you'll be, you, you're ready for a Bible study. And you can help folks because they've been told such stinking lies. Stinking lies, especially about 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Now, let's begin with verse 1. It's a long introduction, but it's kind of important that we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. You have to be careful how you read the Bible because it makes it sound like this was the will of Sosthenes along with the will of God. Got it? He's not called according to the will of God and, and, and Sosthenes' will as well. He's just saying, Paul, here I am with my brother Sosthenes, or Sosthenes, actually. Here we are. I was called according to the will of God. I've got Sosthenes with me. Now, who's this Sosthenes? Well, he's the chief ruler of the synagogue in Acts chapter 18, who got beaten all to pieces by the Jews himself. Now, he is a Jew. Sosthenes is a Jew chief ruler, this is, he's only mentioned two times in the New Testament, this is one of the, this is the second time, the chief ruler of the synagogue in Corinth, and he along with Crispus, who was another chief ruler of the synagogue, let Paul preach, <laughs> and when Paul preached, the Jews didn't like it, and the Greeks of the synagogue, it says the Greeks, you read it in Acts chapter 18, verse 17, why don't we just turn there, Pastor Everett, can you turn there and read that to us? Read, read Acts 18, 17. We'll get that. Yeah, read it. That's it. Sosthenes. Yeah, Gallio was the governor. And uh, paid no attention to it at all. They just, the Greeks. Now, who are these Greeks? These aren't Greeks as you know them. These are not Gentiles. These are Hellenistic Jews who are part of the synagogue. Sosthenes, by the way, that's not a Hebrew name. It's nowhere in, in Judaism, nowhere in the, in the Hebrew language. That's a Greek name. Okay? So he was a Hellenist himself, or he came from a Hellenistic-influenced family. So no doubt Crispus, Crispus which, was, which is a Roman derivative of the name, uh, of a Hebrew name, this man ran the Jewish side of the synagogue, no doubt, and Sosthenes sort of ran the Hellenistic side. You remember in Acts chapter 6, it says the Greek women, the Greek widows, and the, and the Hebrew widows, they were fussing over this, and this is when they had over the daily administration of the bread, right? And they had to raise up deacons to, to sort all that out. Well, these, were, these people were all Jews. It's just that the two dominant cultures amongst Jews were the Greek, was the Greek culture and the Jewish culture, or the Hebrew culture, and they got crosswise because the Greeks largely spoke Greek and the Hebrews largely spoke Hebrew. And they were a little stronger in the observances of the traditions. So that's what this is about. I know it's a little bit, a little bit, you know, like wading through gummy bears, but with the black lambs. But uh, give you a bit of a, a, a background on social media. Unto the church of God called, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, I should say. Now, I want you to understand something. Church of God. Everybody say church of God. Say that phrase, would you? The church is called the church of God more than it's called anything else. It's called the church of God more than anything else. In the New Testament, that is the primary name of the church. Cornerstone Church is not in the Bible. Now, Jesus being the cornerstone, that's in the Bible. So we're his church. <laughs> church of Christ, that phrase, not in the Bible anyplace. Assemblies of God, not in the Bible anyplace. Baptist church, <laughs> Catholic, not in the Bible. Methodist, Lutheran, name your favorite. They're not in here. They're just not in here. 
Church of God is in here. Now, that does not make the denomination Church of God the right one. They just have to know what the church is called. More than anything else, it's called the Church of God. Now, it has lots of different names. Now, Assemblies of God, I, I, I'm not denigrating anyone. I just want you to understand the Bible teaches it. Now, the Assemblies of God, they got their name from Hebrews chapter 12, which says the general, actually, the Assemblies of God was organized under this official name, the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn. They shortened it to Assemblies of God. General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn. That is a direct quote out of Hebrews chapter 12. Okay? So, give them their due. They actually didn't have an official name, but it's different. But the Church of God is called that more often than not. Why? Why is it not called the Church of Christ or the Church of Jesus Christ? It's never called that. Why wouldn't it be? called the church of Christ or called the church of Jesus Christ is because Jesus is his church but he was really bringing us to the Father. He was bringing us to God. We're not just a church, we're a family. Hallelujah. He, he brought us as his gift to his Father. And so we're more identified as the church of God in the scripture than any, than any other name. All right. Which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called. Huh. You need to you need to mark this under your Bible. Do you have your Bible there? You see those words to be? Called to be saints, as though it's a future thing. That to be is italicized. It's not in any text. It's not in any original text. It says, in fact, we are called saints. Called saints called to become saints, but we are saints. That's what he calls us. Amen. And then it goes on, it says, which are sanctified in Christ, or it says there earlier, to them that are sanctified in Christ. Is this just, the, is just, is this only for the ones who have reached sanctification level? No, no, this is God talking, remember? God calls the end from the beginning. He talks about the end of the thing in the beginning. Moment you're born again, he calls you sanctified. Now you and I both know. I mean, we all know that sanctification is really the work that we're in by faith right now. I mean, there are three primary things you need to understand: that you are justified. And where, what what part of the man is justified the moment he's born again, Pastor Everett? What part of you? You are you are a three part being. Anybody remember? Your spirit man is 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 justified. And, and, and the way to remember it is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but that's really good news. That's why they call this thing the gospel. And then, then on the other end, you have glorification. Justification on one end, it's the beginning, and glorification on the end. What part, what part of, your, of, of, your, of your person, anybody want to tell me on this side of the room, what part of your person is that really talking about? Your body, that's right, your, your natural body. That's, that's referring to the day when you'll be fully, fully justified, fully sanctified, fully glorified, and your body, what happened on, in your spirit, <coughs> the impact of, of the rebirth in your spirit will manifest in your body, and even if your body happens to be in a grave or in a shark's belly, you're going to come out of there, glory to God, completely brand new. But then, our glorious redemption and our glorious future have a middle between them. And it doesn't feel so glorious. It's sort of in the nasty here and now, where we're day by day trudging out, fighting the fight of faith, blood all over us, Huh? Warring. Now, how many of you have, have had a few wars since you've been saved? Boy, this is the right place to preach this. We, I've had a few battles. Anybody got any marks on you? Any scars from this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that's a glorious thing. Don't miss it. Just because I said it's a nasty here and now, I'm not talking about any part of our relationship with God. I'm just talking about we live in this world. 
And that process, as you walk by faith, that process is called sanctification. And that part is really dealing with your soul, mostly the way you think and feel. Mostly the way you think and feel. Changing the way you think and feel to look like the way your spirit responds to God. The way your spirit responds to God. You know, sometimes somebody can be saying the right thing about Jesus or singing the right song. The pastor can just say the right thing and instantly it's like you're transported to a whole new world. I don't know about you, but that message I heard Sunday from Pastor Eric Preach just transported me to a whole new world. It just did things to me. It's wonderful. I don't get you know, to have people preaching to me an awful lot. It's just really wonderful to be able to sit in the audience and have them preach that message. It, you know, you know you're a spirit being when you hear that word. You, you just know you were meant, you were created for a different purpose. Hallelujah. But, you know, that, 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 that begins to manifest in how you think and feel, your soul. Glory to God. That's the process of sanctification. But did you notice? God says, from His point of view, them which are abhorrent to them that are sanctified in Christ. In Christ Jesus, called saints. Wow. From God's point of view, He already sees it done. He sees you completed. He sees you finished already. Already. Come on, let's say it together. Finished already. Tell two people, you are finished already. I mean, nobody, no carpenter goes to work on a house with having somebody without, without already seeing the finished product in his mind. He doesn't just walk out there and kick, kick, kick a level spot on the ground and go to build them. No, 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 no. He's got to have plans. He has to have some vision of this thing before it starts. And he sees it in his mind before he ever starts. God already sees you the way he wants you, the way he intends on you to be, the way you're going to be. Glory to God. Already sanctified from God's point of view. Remember Romans 4, 17. Says Abraham believed God who calls those things. Didn't say Abraham did, but he did because God changed his name and made him say, Call those things that be not as though they were. But it says God talks like this. God calls those things that be not as though they were. Now, now don't get this confused. We use this for our healing a lot of times. We see, get a report from a doctor or see see something in our body or feel something in our body. We say, Okay, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I just refuse. I'm not sick. No, wait a minute. Bible teaches us. The Bible does not teach us when I say we're not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. The Bible says that no matter what kind of report there is, you say God's report. The doctor says you're sick. You say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate your report. But the report of the Lord is that I'm healed. I'm healed. So no matter what the condition looks like now, no matter what the facts may be, the truth about the matter is I am healed. I am healed. Is not as though it is. Now, Doctor, I don't care if you agree with me or not. I don't care. I don't care that you don't see it because I, I understand you're looking at it and it's not. You're looking at it and it's not. But I'm looking at it and calling it so. Let the weak say, calling those things that be not as though they were. The moment anybody gets saved, they have to put this. They have to put this principle into, into force to be saved. You had to put this principle into force to be saved. The Bible does not let you go on and on and on and on and on. It's man's religion to make you go on and on about your past, crying and weeping and mourning over your past. When you get born again, the Bible does not teach unbelievers that they need to go on and on and repent over and over and over about their sins. How in the world are they going to do that? Every breath they took was sinful. You've got to make a list. I repent of this, I repent of that. I'm telling you, most of you and I would still be at that altar trying to come up with things to talk about. Huh? It does not say confess that Jesus is Savior. It says confess that He's Lord. Confess that He's Lord. That work is done. He's Lord. That's settled. I rush right to the throne and call Him Lord. Hey, I hadn't done one good thing to deserve that. I've not changed my ways yet. I just did it by faith. The moment you got saved, you did not have to change your ways. You called him Lord. That settled it. When faith kicked in, God acted like you'd never done anything wrong. Woo! Hallelujah. How many of you are grateful for the true gospel tonight? 
That's what calling him Lord means. You acknowledge that the past is the past. Hey, come on, tell two people, get over it. Get over it. Then he goes on and says, With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace. Well, we're finally getting into the introduction. That was the pre-intro. Now here's the intro. With greeting, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say to you, this is not just a greeting from Paul. He meant this from the bottom of his heart. He meant this from the bottom of his heart. And the Apostle Paul said it godlessly. He's the only man in the New Testament other than Jesus. The only man, the only one of the apostles, the only writer, the only one that ever had authority from God to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Be ye followers of me as I follow God. And he said this over and over and over. Called himself the Corinthians' father. Jesus said, call no man father. Paul said, you Corinthians, I'm your father. Whew, Paul, did you ever miss it? No, he didn't miss it there. Just another one of those things. Everybody hearing me, that's why you need to listen to what Paul said. Jesus taught him to teach us. Everybody with me? Jesus taught him to teach us. What we're supposed to, how we're supposed to see it. say to you, it seems like, it just seems like, heaven has no limit of grace and peace, because every time Paul opens his mouth to talk to another one of the churches, he says, grace and peace. He's not, these are not just words. He's disseminating grace and peace in the sense of grace to you, peace to you. He says it. He's, he's issuing it Yourself in places where grace and peace were in limited supply. Hmm? They're not limited supply in heaven. Grace and peace to you, Paul said. The will of God for you to have grace and peace. Verse 4 I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, what you need to know is grace comes no way. No way other than through Jesus Christ. There's just one way that grace comes to man that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That Greek word for grace is charis. 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 In one sense, all believers are charismatics. All believers, in one sense, are charismatic. You ask, you ask most evangelical believers, are you a charismatic? They say, no. Also, you don't have grace. You don't have grace working in you? Hey, I'm a charismatic and I'm glad. I'm not, I, I don't care who they say it associates me with or separates me from. from. Charis, to be charismatic means that you have grace working in your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And the word charis means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness. Who in the world wouldn't want to be a charismatic? Charm, <laughs> loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill. Loving kindness and favor. That word's loaded down with good things, isn't it? It's not just a word. It's a condition. It's a condition of God toward mankind on behalf of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say what I mean by on behalf of Jesus Christ. This is God's disposition now. When God thinks of man, he no longer thinks of Adam. He no longer thinks of Hitler. He no longer thinks of whoever you don't like. He thinks of that man seated at his right hand. And he 
He thinks of man. He thinks of that man. And I know you've got some enemies. I know there's some people in here that you think, yeah, glad I beat some words with man. Yeah, that was the other day. doesn't see man like that as a foul collection of vapors. He doesn't doesn't see man like that. He sees man in this man at his right hand, Jesus. Think of it. Think of it. All the angry preaching that you've heard all through the years. I preach angrily, but I preach angrily at false doctrine to keep God's people bound up. You know? You get get angry at how sinful men are, you're going to be angry. You're going to be real, huh? You're going to be mad enough to go crazy. If, if, a sinful, if, a, if a sinful as a man makes you angry, Lord, you there's no end in sight. You're going to bed angry, going to get up angry. Go to every birthday party, angry. If it's a sinful as a man that makes you angry, God could never get over it if it was a sinful as a man that made him angry. He could never get over it. Yeah, several years ago, you know, when Katrina hit down there, man, they were talking about how angry God was. I heard them, preacher, coming to our school, preaching about how angry God was at New Orleans, and he was out to get them. I said, New Orleans, hey, you know anything about Amsterdam? <laughs> New Orleans looks like a Sunday school class compared to New- Amsterdam. <coughs> Walk down the street, they got prostitutes in glass windows, and you can pick out the one you want like you're shopping for a suit. And God got all mad about that wasn't really supposed to be funny. I'm serious. And God got all been out of shape about New Orleans. San Francisco. And he got mad at New Orleans. Hello. Dallas, Texas. And he got mad at New Orleans. Y'all weren't shouting over that one. I just. (laughs) Verse 5. Now, I will say, I will say, I will say this. It is possible, it is possible to corrupt yourself and and keep the door wide open so that the devil does attack you. I'm not saying New Orleans didn't have some spiritual applications to it. I'm just saying God wasn't showing his wrath. He got over his wrath and he took it out on Jesus. Or does the cross mean so little to you that it just sort of made God okay? When Jesus said it's finished, he fully satisfied the anger of God. Don't you ever forget it. Don't belittle the blood of Jesus by saying stupid things like that. Woo! God was in Christ reconciling the whole world. That includes New Orleans. Last time I checked the map, it was still on the world. Glory. Everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Wow. You're enriched in what? By what? Utterance? In utterance and knowledge. I want want you to understand something. It is important for you to have the knowledge of to speak about. Great enrichment comes from the Lord through utterance and knowledge. That is, what you know about Him and what you say about Him. What you know about Him and what you say about Him. Great enrichment comes to you. If you're always going around saying, well, we can't afford it. We just can't afford it. Is that enrichment talk? All the government ought to do something. The government ought to do something. Is that enrichment talk? You're talking about what you know about the government and what you believe about the government what you say about the government. That's not going to help you. The government might do something, but it's probably just going to be short-lived. And all they do is get you dependent on them more. I mean, if you need help, get help. But I'm just saying that your real enrichment comes from what you know about God and what you say about God. Is this helping anybody yet? Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, 
See, he's talking about the testimony. And what they said, he said, this is what we said to you about Christ. It was confirmed in you. Get rich in your utterance. Get rich in what you what you know about the Lord. So that you came behind in no gift. <laughs> There's that word. Gift. Very similar to that other word. Charis. This one is charisma. Wow. Wow. And it says, a favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. A favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. You know what it means to be saved by grace through faith? That means you are saved without any merit of your own. If you're saved by your own merit, then it wasn't all about Jesus. It'll always be about you and how well you perform. And that is basically the religion of men. Still building that tower trying to get to God. You throw all that junk away and just get over on Jesus, you'll be a lot happier. And two, you'll be saved. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice benefit. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice how he tied the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts, the charismas, to the coming of the Lord? Here's what I believe about that. That the reason why we believe God and why we expect that, that manifestations of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, why they're so important to us, is that they keep us looking and waiting for Him to come. See, because when the gifts of the Spirit are manifesting, it makes the reality of God all that much more tangible. When, when you get a prophetic word spoken over you, thus saith the Lord, man, and, and you know that this person knows nothing about you, but they're saying things by virtue of the Spirit, by way of the Spirit, God just becomes more real. I mean, not that He can be more real, but He's more real to you. And that by itself makes you hunger for more of His presence, and ultimately that hunger grows to saying, I just want Him to come. You see? You see the connection between the gifts, the, manifest, the manifested power of God and His return makes us hopeful that one day we'll be able to live in that kind of realm all the time. We're just getting just a little taste of the manifestations of the Spirit when the gifts are flowing. Man, that gives you an idea. I mean, it's just a taste. But then you think, oh, what will that full banquet be like? You ought to high-five somebody and just say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Verse 8. Are you still with me tonight? We don't have the overhead, so we're having to read our Bibles. <laughs> I don't think it's going to hurt anybody in the room. If we get <laughs> Who shall also confirm you unto the end? Who? The Lord Jesus. Who wait for his appearing. Say, we're waiting for the Lord Jesus, the return, the coming of the Lord. This who is Jesus shall also confirm you unto the end. Now, I want you to watch these next four words that you may be. I'll bet you $100 they're italicized. I won't bet you, but if I was a wagering man, just because there's a casino in my hometown, is it? Are those words italicized in your Bible? That ye may be? Are they italicized in your Bible? That ye may be? They're italicized. Anybody know what, those, what that means? They put those in there for clarification, but they were not in the original text. And that's why they italicize them, because they're just trying to be honest with you. What I don't understand is why we don't just read it without those words. Who shall also confirm you unto the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? He shall confirm you unto the end blameless. He shall confirm you unto the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Keep your faith working in Jesus. Because if you're going to stand blameless, it's going to be because He does it. It's not going to be because you do it. It's going to be because He does it. I don't know about you, but I've tried it in my own strength. Huh? Uh, had the C and the B. The crash and the burn. Got them both. 
your blamelessness is not of you. Look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's a beautiful thing. Jesus died to bring us to God, but the Father was at work all along to bring us to Jesus. I think it was a plot. I think it was a plot to get you to heaven. Now, they were conspiring to save us from hell. Woo. I've had one or two conspiracies against me, but I'm thankful for that conspiracy that was behind my back to woo me to glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is faithful to finish what he starts. He started this thing in you. He'll finish it. Three things you need to know about God. faithful. Number two, God is really faithful. And number three, God is extremely faithful. Amen. Number 10, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That you all speak the same the Bible. Preach the Bible. Have them walk up to me. Our young students, they walk up to me sometimes and say, Pastor Paul, I know what I'm going to preach about. I go, what, what's the passage? Well, that part I don't know yet. I said, where were you when I was conducting class? You know what you want to preach, but you don't have the passage. You're not preaching the Bible. You're preaching what you want to preach. Oh, no, but I'm going to find it. No, I'm still not preaching the Bible. That's preaching what you want to preach. And proof texting. You didn't, you didn't need my class to learn how to do that. You'd already been brainwashed by somebody else before you got to me. What's wrong with preaching the Bible? And let it tell you what you believe and what you want to preach. What's wrong with just opening the book of Romans and saying, All right, I'm going to preach this, 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 this. why we don't all speak the same thing because we don't all do that. We don't all do that. We make up our minds what we believe and then we try to prove it from the Bible. It's a sad thing but that is infectious in the church. And one of the biggest one of the biggest crimes against the Word of God that causes that is what I call textual preaching. That is taking a text, just taking a text, read, read a little bit here, close the Bible, and just begin to say whatever you want to say about it. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And it has kept the body of Christ completely ignorant of the Word of God. I teach people the simplest thing sometimes, and they say, you know, I've never heard anybody say that. you never heard anybody say that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles? That's you? No. Wow. That's funny. That preacher preached out of Leviticus all the time in Jeremiah. Job, oh, Job, oh, Job. Oh, the Job. Yep, no, what about Job? I have people bring that up to me. What about Job? I'm talking, preaching faith to them. What about Job? I say, are you kidding me? <laughs> Was there one significant event that changed everything between Job and you? Was there just one? Could you just name one? Well, I think the New Testament. No, how about Jesus dying? Don't act like that didn't happen. Don't act like that didn't happen. Don't act like that didn't happen. Time stood still. They couldn't keep numbering the days the same way they always had when Jesus came on the scene. Changed everything. 2008 means Jesus came. Otherwise, it would be like 6,000-something. Jesus made all the difference. 
made all the difference. If I'm going to go ape, I'm going to go ape about Jesus. You can go ape, ape about whoever you like to, but I'm going to go ape about Jesus. He fixed everything. He fixed everything. I said he fixed everything. He fixed everything. Woo, glory. everything. I said, he fixed everything. Whew. Glory to God. That's why I don't often, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I hear people spend their whole life. Their prayers always, oh, God, send revival. God, send revival. God, send revival. As though we don't have the potential to have revival by stirring ourselves right now. And if that's how you have to pray to stir yourself, okay, okay. If you have to, if you have to pray that way to stir yourself, okay, good. But keep it in your mind. This is that. The Apostle Peter announced that that day on Pentecost, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You don't see them go in and say, oh, God, if the Lord would just do something. Oh, God, send me about They ain't talked like that. Not even, a, not even 60 and 70 years later. They just said, God, give us opportunities. I'm loaded down with revival. Give me opportunities. When pressure came, they didn't say, oh, God. Oh, God. Put him in prison. Kill James. Peter, he laid under those trees. Acts chapter 12, read for yourself. I don't know what you're going to be doing on the last night of your life. And you know it's the last night of your life. I mean, Herod had already killed James. This is no idle threat. Intended to kill Peter in the morning. What the text says. Brother Richard, I myself, I might do something other than sleep all night. He was late. And his deliverance comes. Angel comes, shakes him, wakes him. Has to wake him up. And it says they struck him. Get, wake up, Peter. Oh, yeah, Lord. Oh, hey. Uh, get up, let's go. <clears throat> I thought they were going to kill me anymore. I tried to get my beauty rest. No, he didn't think they were going to kill him in the morning. I don't believe that at all. You know why? Because Jesus had already told him, Peter, when you're young, you, you, you bind your girdle around you, put on your own shoes, you go do whatever you want to do. But when you're old, others will put your shoes on, others will bind you. They'll take the place you don't want to go. When I'm old. You know why Peter knew could go to sleep that night? He knew all the Herods that could line up couldn't kill him when he had a promise from Jesus. You get a promise from the Lord, glory be to God, you get a word on it from God, it doesn't matter what the devil says, it doesn't matter how real his threats are. He can't take you out if you've got a promise, glory to God, because the promise is as good as the thing. With God, the promise is as good as the thing. When he calls you sanctified, it's as good as the thing, glory to God. His promise is as good as the thing itself. Whatever he promised, he promises as good as the thing. That's powerful. That's powerful. Is that helping anybody so far? Are y'all comfortable? Everybody cool, warm, whatever? Have I gone too long? And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I'm going to just say this, and I'm going to finish in just a minute. One big problem in the church is personal independence. Well, it's a free country. It's a, that's a free country. I just had a guy do that in the church one time. He'd come a couple of weeks. He's kind of a weird guy. Now, some of you were here. Becky, I think you were here. Brenda, most of you. Becky, Tommy, I know. That was kind of a weird guy. He'd corner people teaching a false doctrine. And he's sitting back there. Somebody came up to me and said, you know this guy back there? He, he, said, he said you're not supposed to use the name of Jesus. I said, that's not Jesus. Listen, I knew exactly. I knew exactly where he was coming from and everything the man believed just by hearing that. I said, "That's God that's speaking." So I walked back to him. I said, "I sat down with him. I said, Howdy, sir. Let me ask you a question." I said, "Sure." I sat down beside him. I said, uh, <clears throat> "Did you tell somebody here that Jesus is not the right name for Jesus?" He said, "It's not." He said, well, it's the truth. I said, no, it's not the truth. I said, I've cast out lots of devils with, with the name of Jesus, and they think it's the real name. 
think it's a real name. <laughs> and I said, you're not, you're not allowed to teach that here. And he said, he said, boy, it's a free country. I said, stand up. Stand up. Boy, I, have ever, I said, you have no rights, not here. Stand up. Don't make me go back there and get these guys and drag you out of here. Because I will drag you out of here and throw you in the street, sir. I know, I know what you're thinking. Pastor's supposed to be kind. Bad Shepherd carried a big stick for false doctrine. Don't you ever forget it. Will you stand up. And Everett was there. Tom, I don't know if you were there. And we escorted him out. And I said, and don't you ever come back. Anything that you ever did. Well, it's a free country. Not, not on this property. It's not. <laughs> I said, that sidewalk out there is free country. This right here is private property. Do that too many times. Word gets around among the heretics. You know, like Fonda said, you just got to knock out one guy, and then you don't have to fight much after that. <laughs> well, but it's true. I mean, it's just true. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's a time. Now, you read, you read the book of Revelation, chapters two and three. Jesus scolded his own church, but you know what? He, he actually was scolding the leadership there. Those letters were written to the seven messengers. That is, that word is angelos, and it means messenger. It really means pastor. The single primary guy that brought the messages was the one those letters were addressed to, and the number one thing he attacked was false doctrine over and over and over and over again. They're letting people teach the wrong things in church. You know why? Because here we have, here we have Paul calling out, hey, let's say the same thing. Let's believe the same thing. Don't let these weirdos teach things that aren't in the Bible. Can I have a good amen? So, I just want you to understand, y'all are here tonight, but this makes church attendance so imperative for how we're going to get along in unity, how we're going to be a body that's being together like this, how we're going to remain a body hearing the same thing, talking to one another, encouraging one another. I can't know what you believe, and you can't know what I believe unless we spend time together. People say, well, I belong to Cornerstone Church. And some of them, you know, we see them. What do you call them? What do you call them? Christmas and Easter? Yeah, I know, but you you got another name for them. You call them some kind of Christian. Oh, no, you call you say Sunday only. Smoes, okay. Sunday morning only. Okay, okay. Well, hey, listen, I'll take, I'll take Smoes. I'll take Smoes over Easter and Christmas. And we talk like this because y'all are here on Wednesday night. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but we get to know the Word of God by rallying around it this way. Amen. We get to know what, what and, and how, how to talk, you know, with the same voice. Say the same thing. Believe the same thing. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, that's Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or you were, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And listen how strong he says this. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, Crispus is that leader of the, of the synagogue, the Jewish leader of the synagogue, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, as Ezra's remembering. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Look what he says here. For Christ sent me not to baptize. But to do what? Here's the antithetical to this. Here's the antithetical to it, and it tells you that baptism is not the gospel. You hear some people preach, you think baptism is all about baptism. That's the gospel. That's how you're saved. Uh-uh, uh-uh, pardon me. That's not what the apostle, I mean, if that was, that's what Jesus would have sent Paul to baptize. He sent him to the whole world, didn't he? He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, we do know that baptism is the Christian response to being born again. Amen. Because anytime when you're born again, your old man dies and you become a new creature. So what do you do with people that have died? 
You bury them. You bury them. I don't care how sweet your granny was. If you prop her, if you prop her dead body up in that back room closet, she's going to stink up your life. You need to take her out and give her a proper burial. Just like you need to give your old man a proper burial in water baptism. But it's not the gospel. It's not how you get saved. You get saved before that happens. Amen. Paul said it is possible to preach the gospel in a way to strip it of its effectiveness. Notice what he says here. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. This powerful gospel can be preached. It is possible to preach it in a way so as to strip away its effectiveness. It will never be here. It will never be with you. It will never be with Pastor Joy. It will never be with Pastor Ed. It will not be. It will not be. Pastor Kip, we will never preach the gospel so as to strip away its effectiveness. Paul said there are those that do it. They use the wisdom of men's words. They use the wisdom of men's words to try to take away its power. And you know why? You know why they don't care what, what kind of t-shirts kids wear at school? But they sure don't want them wearing a Jesus t-shirt. Because none of the rest of that junk has power. But boy, that Jesus t-shirt has power and it hangs. Woo! Glory to God. Well, enough said. We'll pick up with verse 18. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.